Amen. Amen, amen, amen. I am always thankful for every opportunity we have. I say that pretty much every time I get up, um, and that's because I, I truly am grateful. We don't take anything for granted. This world we live in, we don't know who's going to be canceled next. We don't know. And uh, so I don't take for granted the opportunities we have to preach the gospel and to preach it freely. And uh, I, am, I am thankful for God's ministry. Uh, I'm thankful for the, for the uh, solid foundation. How many are thankful you have a solid foundation to build your life on? And I look and I was thinking about all, all of that. And every week I think about those things probably. But it just seems like what's, what's next? Like I said, you know, who knows what's coming down the road and and it seems like, again, the church is in so much upheaval. There's a lot of upheaval within the church trying to, trying to be culturally friendly and trying to fit in with the, with the groups and not offend anybody. And I'm thankful that, that Jesus isn't that way. The pastor likes to say Jesus is not an inclusive. He's an exclusive. He excludes a whole lot of people. And, but I'm thankful that we're part of the included. Amen? That we're part of that crowd. Amen. Why don't you open your Bibles to the book of Matthew? I, I'm, I'm not getting a whole lot of places with that, so we'll just kind of start preaching. See how that goes. Amen. Matthew chapter 6. I want to, um, I want to pick up on a thought that I, 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 was, I was kind of working this direction a few months ago. Uh, well, I don't know how long exactly, but about the will. And so I want to preach a couple of sermons. I don't know how many, but at least two on I will. I will. Um, and I was kind of, kind of working in that direction, and I felt the Lord take us toward faith, and so we started talking about that, but I want to revisit this. The Lord's just really been pressing it upon my heart, and I hope that you can grow by, by some of the things that the Lord's just been speaking to me. Um, how many want to receive from the word of the Lord? You're going to understand this better, and I'll probably say it at the end again, something that I've really been doing, trying to do constantly, um, every day is say, Lord, affect me. Affect me, God. Because if we're not affected by the word of God, if we're not affected by what he says, then really it has no change. It has no, it has no impact on our lives, right? So being affected by the word of God is a vital part of our lives. That has to do with our will, and we're going we're gonna to deal with that tonight a little bit. But I want to challenge you. Always receive the word of God gladly, and God will enrich you for it. He will grow you for it. Amen. So Matthew chapter 6 and verse 8. Jesus speaking says, Therefore do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask. In this manner, therefore, pray. Everybody knows this. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I want to focus in on that verse, as you know, where it says, Not my will, but thine be done. So your kingdom come, your will be done. Why don't you say that? God let your will be done in my life. Lord, we ask you tonight that you help us to deliver your word. We handle it carefully. 
because it's your word. And I don't want to twist it. I don't want to contort it. God, I want to deliver it. And it hits the ears wherever it is. We're, we're not trying to pick with this, with this preaching of this gospel. We're not trying to cherry pick off the things we like or point at people we don't like, Lord. But we're trying to bring the wholeness of the gospel so that we can be affected by it, Jesus. And we pray that your will would be done tonight and that you would speak to our hearts in your mighty name, Jesus. And everybody say amen. So I'm, I'm really captivated right now. And I'm going to do some teaching tonight because I think it's really important. But I'm captivated right now with understanding better my will. Something I hadn't really looked at. I say that, your kingdom come, your will be done. Not my will, let your will be done. I say those words a lot. Anybody say those words? We say those words, and, and, I, and I hadn't put until recently a lot of extra thought. I, I kind of know on surface what that means, but I hadn't put a lot of extra thought into what is my will? How does this work in me? What does this mean when I say your will instead of my will? I love the song that the, that the young people, are just the choir just started singing. I must decrease so that you can be exalted. All I achieve to you will be the glory. And so we have to be consumed by the things of God. His things have to take priority in our life. And this is where our will comes in. Our will is the agent of defiance to God's plan in our lives. Our will. Our will is always in defiance to God's plan in us. I think there's so much misunderstanding about how we deal with our will in relation to God. A, a lot of times, and, and, I, and I've got a lot of different perspectives, we've come through a lot of different things in life. I've been in church my whole life, I've seen it a lot of different angles. And there's a lot of different perspectives, but one of the things that I saw a lot growing up in, in that holiness Pentecostal movement, and there's some good things there, and there's some good things in the Baptist movements too. There's some good things that, that sometimes we just get too far one direction. But one of the things I saw a lot in the holiness Pentecostal movement is that we didn't talk anything about our will. It, it was a lot about going down to an altar and trying to pray, to speak in tongues, almost so that God would do something that I really didn't want to do. Almost so that God would give me his spirit and so that by receiving his spirit, then I would want to do things that I didn't want to do before. And I just don't see it that way. I think there's a really bad misunderstanding about how my will plays in. And when I hear a lot of people talking about hearing God, everybody's hearing God today. Everybody knows that? Everybody's hearing God. You got a lot of men who just heard God. A lot of them got up and prophesied, said that Trump was going to be the president. I'm hearing God. God thus says the Lord. I'm going to be careful when you say that. Hearing God. And guess what? They weren't hearing God. I've seen so many people's lives wrecked by hearing God. How, does anybody think God wrecks lives? Because I don't. So if your life is wrecked and you said, I heard God, it wasn't God. The problem is our will. My will is the agent of defiance to God's plan in my life. And so this is the difficulty, understanding 
God's will for me. Because God's will for me is always going to fly in the face of my will for me. Do you understand that tonight? I know that's not a popular gospel, but you are never going to want what God wants for your life and your flesh. Because God wants you to put your flesh down, your flesh always wants to be exalted. God wants you to prefer his things. He wants you to choose what he says over what you feel, but what you feel feels a whole lot better than what he says. So there's a difficulty. We're going to fight through to try to find how God's will works in our life. First, let me define a couple of things. I said this a couple of weeks or a couple of months ago when I was dealing with this, but there are, there are kind of two areas that make up our soul. Because this is the area of our will. We are body, soul, and spirit. Amen? Everybody say amen. I'm making you say amen because you're kind of looking a little sleepy. I want to make sure that you don't fall asleep. We'll just keep you right on the edge of slumber with a few amens. So the soul is the area of the will. So when we look at this, there's kind of two parts of our inner man. And I think they're really important to understand there is actually a difference. And the first one is our understanding and this is the area that's capable of perce perception and speculation, the area where we judge things and discern things. This is the understanding. So we look at something and we're completely unbiased and we just look and we evaluate. Now, it's hard to be completely unbiased, right? It's really tough because we always have some sort of bias. We have got some some dog in the fight somewhere. But if we are completely unbiased and we look at something just based on the, the criteria and we judge something independently from any desire of our own. That's our understanding, okay? But then the second part of that is the will, and this is the area that we most struggle with. I don't have as much problem with my understanding as I do with my will. Because God gives us the ability to discern things. Do you agree that God gives us the ability to discern? How many parents... Thank God that he gives you the, the spirit of discernment in your home. As pastors, we, we pray for the spirit of discernment so that we can judge and try to rightly divide and, and, and do things according to the will of God. And that, that's the understanding. That's the, that's the easier of the two. Because the second part is the will. And this is the area where we don't behold things as indifferent bystanders or unaffected spectators, but we either like or we dislike something. In this area, we do not simply perceive and view things, but are in some way inclined with respect to what we are viewing. So we have an inclination towards something. Now, you've got to get your toes back out. Stop tucking them up in behind your shoes and trying to protect them. God's going to step on your toes. This is the area where we struggle with the most because we already have preconceived ideas. And if you don't have them yet, you're going to get them. You're going to have things that you want to do. And then you're going to say, God, I want your will. But God's will is going to fly in the face of what you want to do. But it's preconceived. It's already programmed in you. You've already made up your mind about it. It's your will. Everybody say my will. Problem with you and hearing God and you and obeying God is your will. So that's the area of inclination. And the area where we exercise this inclination is the mind or what we call the heart or our affections. 
there's some songs right here, my, um, my affection, that one we sing, I was made for worship, I think we sang it Wednesday night, my affections are set on you. Well, that's true, but that's difficult. It's difficult to set all of my affections on God because I've got some things I really want to accomplish in this life, some things I really want to see happen. I've got some things I want my family to do or I want to experience or I want to see in my own life. And their affections are things I'm just really working for or hoping for or believing for. And these are the areas that are really hard to yield. It's not some of my affection is easy to give to God. That's the easy part. How many are married here tonight? Why don't you raise your hand? How many would say that it's pretty easy to give some of your affection to your spouse? Keep your hand up. And then keep it up if you think it's easy to give all of your affection to your spouse. Yeah, they're going right down. Because there are some things that are just hard. There are some areas where we have to work at it, and this is where it's at. When we are conflicting with the will of God, and how do I know the will of God? Let me tell you something. If you think that your affections are going to go along with what God wants in the natural, you're always going to make the wrong choices. Always. If you don't understand that in your very nature you are opposed to doing what God wants for your life, your very sinful nature, you're not going to grow in this thing, in this Christian life, to the point where your flesh nature doesn't try to rise up and take control of your desires. Now, you may overcome lustful passion, you may overcome every addiction, but you're never going to overcome the flesh until you die. As long as you're in the flesh, you're going to fight a war against the flesh because the carnal mind or the fleshly mind is at war with God. It will not be subject to the, to the laws of God. So I can give you every law. I can tell you what God's will is, but your natural man is always going to defy what God's will is. And so you're going to have to yield to God's will even though you don't want to. That want, that inclination, that desire of my heart, my affections are about what I want. And God doesn't give a rip about what you want. Not a rip. Doesn't care. Your wants, again, we got so much mess in the American church. Everybody talking about God giving you what you want. I just watched a service this morning, and you've probably been to them or seen them. I've been to a couple myself, where they put up on the wall before they give, and they say, this is what we're believing for. We're going to give, but we want this to happen. Checks and better checks and better jobs and finding money. Literally say, finding money. You know what that's about? That's all about what you want. None of that's about what he wants. And very giving of the offering itself would, should, should lend the thought that I am giving this so that the Lord's will can be done, so that the Lord's work can be done. But instead it's become I'm giving this and here are the strings attached, God. As I give this, I expect this back from you. It's perverse. We've got a wrong idea. And part of that is because we live in the lap of luxury, and I don't have time to go into all that tonight. So there are many ways that churches uh, deal with our will. There's a lot of different perspectives about how, how different aspects of Christianity might deal with this. Some would try to say we have no will. We talked about that several months ago. 
And if this were true, then everybody would like mayonnaise. Right? I mean, if that's, if that's true, if we have no will, if we have no heart, if we have no understanding, the understanding of being separate, but if we have no affections and no predis, predisposed thoughts and, and likes and dislikes, then everybody would like mayonnaise and everybody would eat Brussels sprouts and I'm not one of those. And Clearly, there's a will involved. And some would try to say that our emotions and affections have no place in the walk with God. There's a large group of people that believe that, that we should be completely unemotional when we approach God. And we should be very stoic and pious. And that is holiness, that we remove all emotion from our walk with God. But Jesus said that you should know that the first commandment, which is the most important, is here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And you shall love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul. With your emotions. Yeah, I, we don't want to become over-emotional. You see a lot of people who make decisions based upon emotions. We don't want to become over-emotional, but that's certainly a part of our life. And we can't serve the Lord completely if we don't give Him that part of our life. So that way wouldn't be the right way. Some people believe that we have a will and that it should be submitted. That's probably the camp that we would fall into. Yes, we have a will. Yes, we have desires. Yes, we have emotions. But we submit those desires. We submit that will to God. And others believe that whatever your will is, do it because God is pleased by anything that comes to your heart. Anybody heard that? I've heard that a lot. This big charismatic movement that's going on. They're going around and they're, they're basically continually, they, I, I've heard those almost exact words, but in, in all kinds of different phraseology, they're saying, whatever comes into your heart, just do it because God gets pleasure out of seeing his children create. And some people create murder. And some people create rape. And some people create molestation. Is God getting pleasure out of that? Because it's coming in their heart. It's foolishness. So somewhere in there, we've got to understand that without dealing with these individually, I don't want to deal with every one of those and take all that time, but that we must be affected by the things of God in order to have true religion. If you're going to have true religion, James says pure religion. I think Josh just read it. Well, uh, undefiled before God and the Father is this, uh, James 1, 20 something, to visit the fatherless and the widow in their afflictions and to keep himself unspotted from the world. But I just want to deal with the first two words. Pure religion, real religion. That means there's a whole lot of fake out there. That means there's a whole lot of something that looks like something that isn't something. It's just phony, surface level. I like this quote. It's by Jonathan Edwards, the English preacher. And he said, No fact is more evident than this, that the things of God take hold of men's souls no further than they affect him. That's why you can sit in church and you can walk in these doors. A pastor can pour out his heart and you can walk out the exact same way you came in. 
And you can do that for service after service, and you can do that for year after year. You can do that for a whole lifetime. Because if you don't allow the word of God to affect you, and by affect you, I mean to begin to speak to those affections in your heart, speak to your will, and to begin to convict you of your will, to begin to challenge your will. See, this is the problem. We want somebody to get up and tell us what we want to hear. We're looking for yes men, but God doesn't put yes men in pulpits. God doesn't do it. People do it, but God doesn't do it. God puts people in the pulpits. God puts teachers in your life. God God puts people who are over you to help you to find green pasture that's going to keep you healthy. To understand that if you take the cow and you turn them out in the alfalfa field, they're going to explode. They can make it a couple of days, but it's too rich. And there are, some, there are some truths that maybe we could find, some depths that maybe we're missing. But if we don't understand that there, there may be some time to draw back, we got to rein it in a little bit. There's some things that we're just not exercising here at Echoes of Calvary. And I'm not saying we're perfect, but I'm just saying there's some things we made some decisions that we're not getting in the river. Because there's some people who don't know how to swim and they're going to drown. Right? We're not getting in the river. I didn't mean swimming, actually, and that's the flow, spiritual river. Sorry, some people are like, we can't go in the river ever again. We're not doing that. We're not going with the charismatic movement. Oh, there's a lot of good fruit. No, but there's a lot of deadly fruit. It's a problem. So we're trying to, to streamline this thing and get it down and, and, and to... And to uh, understand how God affects me. God affect me. Speak to me. Move me. Change me. That's what needs to happen. And that's not going to happen with you coming in and hearing what you want to hear. And I'm going to tell you, it's the mercy of God if you come in and you hear the same thing every week. If you keep hearing the same thing every week, listen. (laughs) Because God, by his mercy, is trying to tell you something. Because I guarantee I'm in here every week and I'm not hearing the same thing. Our world is so busy and it's so active. It's so driven by instant gratification and affections. And men, women, humanity is the source of all of that motion. If you take away all of the love and all of the hatred, all of the hope and all of the fear, all of the anger and the affectionate desire, for the most part, the world would lie motionless. If you think about it, it is the affections that drive the heart of man, that engage the covetous man and those greedy for money in their pursuits. It is the affections that uh, that engage the ambitious man in his pursuit for worldly glory. It is the affections that actuate the conduct of the sensual man in his pursuit of pleasure. And so in religion, the one who has doctrinal knowledge without affection is never engaged in relationship with God and is never about the Father's business. Did you hear me? See, here's the problem. And this accusation can be made at every organization. 
So you got your, your little pet peeves that we all want to want to hear and we all want to talk about and you all want to preach about. So you, I, I can name a few of them for you, at least in the, in the Pentecostal side. You got those who want to preach holiness. They want to talk about holiness and all they're talking about is holiness. And the problem is they're not being affected by the revelation of Jesus Christ in their life. And so they got everything figured out on the outside. But they don't have anything figured out on the ends. They're not about the Father's business. They're about correcting people. Rodney told me, he texted me, he was driving down to Riverdale the other day, and, and he was listening to T.F. Tinney preaching, and he said, uh, you know, T.F. Tinney was the big UPC um, preacher. I, I, I sure appreciated his ministry. Um, but he said that there's such, a, there's such a kerfuffle in that movement about what to wear and what, to, what you know, how to look and all of that stuff. And it, it's just way overblown. And, and they call sin that's not sin. And it's a problem because we're not dealing with the real sins. We're dealing with sins that aren't sins. That's a problem. But I love what he said. He said, the devil wasn't kicked out of heaven over his dress code. But he was over his pride. Right? Yeah. See, we got all these pet peeves, and, and then you get into that apostolic movement, and all they want to talk about is being apostolic. Apostolic, apostolic. You hear the word apostolic until you're sick of the word. I don't even know what the word means. Nobody can define it. It's all about being apostolic, but we don't have a revelation of who Jesus is. We're not busy about the Father's business of proclaiming the revelation of Christ to a lost and dying world. We're worried about getting people to look like us. And to act like us and to do what we're doing. And that works in every denomination, in every organization. Got, got that, that direction. Got that idea. But you can have every doctrine right. And I hope that we do. I mean, we obviously don't think we're teaching anything wrong around here. We'd change it. But maybe we got something wrong. But it, we could have every doctrine right. But if you're not affected, you can know that God is one. You can know that, that God is true and righteous and a holy judge. But if you're not affected by that word in your own heart and convicted of who you are and changed into his image, then you will sit motionless. And you will never be about the work of God in your life. So you can keep on looking for the better church. You can keep on looking for the, the better movement. And I, I just got to get somewhere and I got to feel something that I don't feel. And we love it around here and I know you all do. But, but you can, that, that is so plagues the church again. And man, you, you get a revival and you're going to have people, quote unquote revival, you're going to have people flying from all over the world to get to Brownsville, all over the world to get to Toronto, all over the world now to get to Bethel and Reading. We got to get there because God's there but they're not being affected by the word of God. They're not being changed by the word of God. I can confidently say that religious belief or an experience that does not affect our affections is not an encounter with the Almighty. It's not. It's just not. I can't put it any other way. There is no place, there's no reference to anybody coming encounter, coming in an encounter with, with God Almighty and walking away from that unchanged. We have every evidence in the scripture of whenever that happened, there was a mark left. And that mark isn't your ability to heal 
or your ability to prophesy or your ability to give words of wisdom. That mark is a mark of holiness upon your life, a mark of separation upon your life, a mark of willingness to sacrifice and lay down your desires. When we truly encounter God's presence in our life, it begins on the inside and works in our hearts. That's where we need God to move the most. We don't need God to move just upon the outside. We need God to move upon our hearts, upon my affections, upon my preconceived ideas. We think we lose all of that stuff, but I'm telling you, it never sheds truly off of our life. And you can be a Christian for 20 years or 30 years or 40 years. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. There's these thoughts that keep rolling around in your head. And God's always going to be challenging those thoughts. Trying to, trying to draw us into a, a deeper relationship. Trying to get us to submit that will. And there's so much confusion about the Holy Spirit today. So much emphasis today on an encounter or that experience. And I want to be clear about something. I do want to be clear about something. We want to have an encounter with God. We need those moments where our hearts are changed in his presence. Pastor beat me to the punch tonight because I was going to mention that we don't have a lot of altar calls here. And I, I, we're not opposed to that. I think that those things are good. There's times of, of God tugging on, on our emotions. And I think that's a good thing that we respond. Sometimes we need to just respond. Sometimes that, that motion maybe toward the front or the motion to lift my hand or to stand up and say, God, I, I really do need you. We do need to connect that. Sometimes we, we just want to sit and just remain unaffected. But this isn't about an experience. Our relationship with God cannot be about an experience. We're not trying when we lead worship, we're not trying to get you worked up emotionally and pumping the music and get the right rhythm going so that everybody's running and jumping and shouting. I mean, there's nothing really wrong with any of that. But that's not what we're making effort for. What we're believing is that as we proclaim the gospel of Christ, that your hearts be affected. Something take root in you. So you can run and you can shout and you can dance, and you can speak in tongues, and you can prophesy, but if your experience doesn't leave you marked with a holiness in your heart, then it wasn't God. Everybody say amen right there. It wasn't God. It was your affections. A lot of people live on their emotion. True religion is a powerful thing that begins in the inward exercises of the heart. And hence, it is the power of godliness. I want you to look at 2 Timothy. I want to read a couple of scriptures out of there. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. Now, this is, again, a very familiar passage of scripture. I want to look at two of these tonight, and I want, I want to paint a contrast. I'm going to get into this more 
the next time, but I want you to think differently about the Spirit. I want you to think differently about the Holy Spirit. I want you to think differently. Get it out of persons. Get it out of there. And I want you to think about the Spirit is the life source of us. What's the other word? What's the word that we, we use? It's pneuma, spirit. It's the Greek word. And it means, everybody know what it means? Breath. That's what it means. When you stop breathing, what happens? You die. Your breath is the life source. And I'm not going to get into all that tonight because I do not have time. I'm going to get there. But you have your body and your soul, which uh, is your emotions and your will and your affections and your judgment. But this is dead without your spirit. If you do not breathe, then all of the emotions, all of the will, all the affections, all the desires die. It doesn't matter what, what, you could have every desire to live, but if your heart starts pumping and you no longer take in air, you cease to be. The body is dead and the soul is dead. Spirit gives life. It is the life source. So when we talk about God's spirit, we're talking about the same thing. God's spirit, it is the life source of us. It is the it is the thing that gives life to the new birth of creation within us. I want to read this, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So, the Spirit, again, I, I just, just kind of get back from what you think about the Holy Spirit, because we all come from a lot of different places. Got it, we got some old Baptist in here, we got some old, you know, a lot of different direction, old Pentecost in here, some, so just a lot of different ideas. Get out of that for a minute and understand that it is the Spirit of God that gives life to Him inside of you, His Spirit. Scripture says if you don't have His Spirit, you are none of His Say, well, Pastor Rodney, um, we, we believe in a second infilling. Okay, you, you, how many believe you need more of God now than you ever did before? So I'm saying, God, give me more. I want your spirit more. I, need, I breathed in and I need to breathe in again. But if you don't receive the Holy Spirit upon what we're calling salvation, you didn't get it. Because <laughs> you're dead. The only way you're alive is when his spirit breathes into you. You've got to breathe in the spirit of God. And Jesus looked on them. He breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. It is the life source. So we talk about the spirit of God, but when we add holy on the front of that, now the description we're talking about is the kind of life that God brings. Holy Spirit is not a name of a person in a Godhead. Holy Spirit is the description of the type of breath that God breathes into you. It is a breath that gives life to holiness. That's what it is. That God's spirit gives life to holiness in me 
Because I'm not going to be holy on my own. How many would say amen? I can't walk as God is. I can't be like God is. I, that's not, I'm a human. I am flesh. But when his spirit begins to breathe inside of me, now that holiness begins to arise in my life. And that which was used for the devil's glory and for my flesh now begins to be the life source of God's glory. And his honor for without holiness, no man shall see God. Holy Spirit. So this verse says God has not given life to fear or timidity. He's not made you fearful. He's not, he's not breathing into you fearfulness. He's not breathing into you timidity. He's not doing that. That's not where his resources flow. But in contrast, he is giving you the ability, that's the power, to love and to have self-control. So God has not given us a spirit, a life source of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. So God allocates the resources of his spirit in your life that is about the ability for you to walk in self-control control that's what it's about everybody wants to talk about what the work of the spirit of god is we want to talk about all the fruits we want to talk about running around we want to talk about speaking in tongues but nobody wants to talk about self-control and the spirit of god is in your life to help you walk in circumspection and to keep yourself unspotted from the world that's what his spirit is for and yes, that should come with modesty. And yes, there's some things you shouldn't do. And yes, there's some things you shouldn't watch. And there's some things you shouldn't wear. But that spirit is there to give you self-control. I love this word. It's a compound word. That self-control or sound mind it's not mind at all. That, that word is completely not in there. I don't know where they got sound mind from, but th this is a beautiful word. It is, it is from two words. The first word being sous, where we get our word sozo or salvation from, and it means safe. It means safe. And the second word is friend, which in exact terminology is your diaphragm, which is the inner organ that regulates physical life and controls your breathing isn't that powerful that God's spirit is there not to breathe fear into you not to give that to be the life source but God's spirit is there to give you a ability to exercise and control your breathing safely let me put it another way he's giving you the ability to take your breath and give it for his glory. Where he gave you your breath and you were living for your own glory. And you were doing your own works. And the works of the flesh, they're abominable. And they're going to produce death and destruction. And the payment of that is hell. Now his spirit is coming in you. And he's giving you the ability to now walk circumspectly. And to conduct your breath. To use your resources to his glory. And every breath you're taking in, and we love the scripture, scripture and we love to sing the songs that say, let everything that has breath 
praise the Lord. God's not giving you a spirit of fear, but of the ability to live in self-control. He's now coming in and giving you the ability to give your resources for His glory. This is in contradiction. I want to go to the second, the second uh, verse I want to look at. is in the same ch- book, uh, 2 Timothy, but it's in the third chapter. <clears throat> I, I was just going to read the fifth ber- verse, but I want to read it verse 1. Let's, let's look at verse 1 because he's painting a picture here. And I do think context even expands this further. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves. Dad just said this a couple of weeks ago. Everybody's talking about the end time revival and the great uh, you know, harvest that's coming. And yet the scripture says that the, the truth is there's going to be a great falling away. That's what, that's what the scripture says. It that's not what popular Christianity is saying. They're claiming millions and millions and millions of souls. But I don't know what they're being saved from. Or what work they're doing, it's not the gospel work, it's not a life of Christ, but look at this, in the, in the last days, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves. They're going to be lovers of money, they're going to be boasters, they're going to be proud, they're going to be blasphemers, disobedient to their parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, and despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, and lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. That's the world, right? That's the world. Uh Uh-oh, look at verse 5. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. See, we we look at that and oh yeah, the world's full. Yeah, I know a bunch of backstabbing, parent hating. They just love pleasure. Could Paul have wrote more prophetically to America when he wrote this to Timothy? There's going to be he basically was saying there's going to be a lot of people, Timothy, in the last days. You're not living in them, but in the last days, there's going to be a lot of people in the church who are everything but godly. (laughs) They love everything but God. They're willing to do anything for themselves. They despise authority. They hate their parents. They reject every good thing and every right thing. we We are living in a perilous time right now in America. They have a form of godliness. If you look at this, it's morphos. And this word is used in a positive light many times. It literally means to look the part. A form of godliness. They look exactly like what you would think godliness would look like. They are wolves in sheep's clothing. Another, says, another place says they are clouds that are without rain. <laughs> they look like exactly what it's supposed to look like. They're shouting, they're dancing, they're running, they're dressed right, they're acting right. But in their hearts is the problem. They exercise no self-control. 
They love pleasure. They reject direction. All of, this, all of these examples, remember they're unloving. They're unforgiving. They are slanderers. They're brutal. This isn't the world. This is where people in the church are going to be. Why? Because they have the form of God. They look exactly the part. If you had to guess what holiness would look like, it would be these people. They look exactly like what it should look like. But they deny the power of the gospel, the power of salvation. Overall, we see here someone who has every appearance of godliness, but they are missing the will to live for Jesus. That's exactly what's going on. Now listen, I am getting close to being done. And I got to meddle for a minute. Because there is a problem with the holiness movement. There's a problem. Whether Trinitarian or oneness. And the deception comes in right here. Because the form can feel like the power. I want you to listen to me tonight. The form can feel like the power. Because you're doing everything the right way. And you can think, because I'm doing the things the right way, I've got the power. Because we're a little bit better than those around us. I've got the power. I've got the power of salvation. I've got the power of God in my life. But it's not. The form does not equal the power. Everybody listening to me? Let's be real clear. Having the right doctrine does not equal the power. Does that, does that bother anybody? Having the right doctrine doesn't equal the power. Not the power of godliness, not the, not the power of salvation. Dressing the right way, speaking in tongues, doesn't equal the power. The ability comes when we surrender our will. This is where the power of God comes. God's not going to come in and overpower your will. God's going to come into a willing, everybody say willing, willing vessel, a vessel that is poured out for him, a vessel that is emptied. So I'm emptying myself in order that God can fill me up. But the form can feel like the power. And the further you go down that road, the more empty you get. Because you realize that I've got everything right on the outside and I, and I look the right way and I'm acting and doing everything that seems to be religious and godly. But I don't have the power of salvation in my life and I don't really even know who Jesus is because I don't even know that I want to live for God. What I want to do is look the right way and then go out and do what I want to do. I want to, I want to do the external things because it's a lot easier to do the external things than just live any old way. As long as I'm doing an address or as long as I'm, you know, don't have a TV in my house, then I can kind of, I can kind of do a lot of different stuff and, and I'm, I'm kind of got my ticket punched, but the form never equals the power. I grew up watching this. Dad knows, I, I've said this every time, I know, but dad knows way better than me. He grew up in it a lot longer than I did. 
And I'm not saying there's not good people there. I'm saying this is the trap. And, and I'm going to also say this. I said this the other day. If I got two choices, if I got two choices and we got the choice of going with the Bethel crowd, this modern garbage gospel group, or the holiness group, I'm going to have to run with the holiness group. I'm going to have to go with them because I cannot go with, I don't know where that group's going. I don't know what God they're serving. So I'll let them be. If I got to make a choice, but that does not mean we can't get our toes out and say, okay, let's look at this thing for what it is, right? Let's just look at it for what it is. If you think there's power in that stuff, there's a problem. If you think it makes you more right because you do this, there's a problem. We can have everything right on the outside but it is whether or not we surrender our will to Jesus. That is the ultimate defining mark on us. And if you say, we want Echoes of Calvary to begin to feel the power of God in this place. We want lives to be changed. We want people to be touched. The answer is not better doctrine, better singers, better musicians, better preachers. That's not the answer. The answer is that we surrender our will and say, Lord, you empower us to do your work. Whatever you want to do in us, however you want to use us, whatever it is you want to do with this choir, whatever you want to do with this worship and this preaching, God will be what you want us to be. We're not here for our own agenda. We're not here for Echoes of Calvary. I don't care nothing about our name. And I know that that, well, that's just placating. You just say that's an easy thing to say. No, if our heart is really there, that's really our heart. That's where the power of God is able to flow the ability of God's flow in our life is only restricted by our will nobody wants to talk about our will we want to talk about the right rhythm we want to talk about the right feelings and the right emotions and I, I got to tell you this if you dance more about being Pentecostal than you do about Jesus you might be missing the power If you shout more about heaven than what you do about Jesus, I'm ducking. You're missing something. Because when we get there, you know what you're going to find out is all about him anyway. If you shout more about being apostolic than you do about Jesus, you are missing the mark. I'm looking forward to heaven. I am trusting in my eternal destiny. I am looking for that eternal life. But I'm telling you tonight that when I think about his goodness, something should rise up in my spirit. Now, this is the point where God begins to touch by his spirit. He begins to breathe life into my emotions and his spirit begins to touch me. And when I think about all that he has done, something begins to rise up and praise begins to flow from my life. When I hear about how God became flesh and dwelt among us, that's when something should start stirring inside of me. When I, when I hear about how he took upon himself the form of a servant, when I hear about how he suffered and died for my sin, how he paid a debt that he did not owe, something should rise up in me. 
A praise should begin to move. Something should be stirring inside of me. When I hear that it was God in Christ Jesus who was reconciling the world to himself and how that you won't find him again at that whipping post standing there so meek, we won't see that again. And now that the one who descended is the same one who ascended on high and he is seated in majesty. That is the things that should stir me. The gospel of Jesus. The message of who he is. And my surrender to his will. Something should rise up in me. When I remember that Jesus said I will not leave you orphans. But I will return unto you. I should get excited to know that whatever my need is. All I have to do is call upon Jesus. Because all power and authority are his. Something should happen inside of me. When I hear that I am not alone, and that the same Spirit which raised Christ Jesus from the dead also dwells in my mortal body, and He's going to quicken me. The same Spirit. Say the same Spirit. The same life. The same breath. That was in Jesus. It's going to dwell in you. And he's also going to quicken your mortal bodies. That quicken means to bring to life. Something should stir in me. His spirit bearing witness with my spirit that I'm now a son of God. It bears witness. His breath Breathing into me touches me. This is what praise is about. I'm not preaching about praise and I'm finishing. But this is what praise and worship is about. It's that His Spirit, breathing that holy breath into me, is now enabling my spirit. It's bringing it to life. And my spirit is saying, bless the Lord, O my soul and all. That is within me. I let his spirit get rise. I let his spirit empower me and quicken me to honor my God. I hope that you understand something tonight better than you did before. 100% of what you need to know about your Christian life is about your surrender and your submitting of your will. We can talk about submitting to his will. We can say that. But if we don't surrender our will, we can't ever answer his will. I know they seem synonymous, but they're not. We can pray, Lord, your will be done. I want to I just need to know your will. I want to know your will. Tell me your will. Lord, let me know your will. But until my will gets out of the way, his will can never be accomplished in my life. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I just want to ask you to do something. I said we don't do an altar call a whole lot. Brother Tom, Sister Debbie, if you'd come tonight. But I want to ask you this right now. You say, I just, I want, I want to approach this thing a little different. I want to decrease 
I want to lose so that I can gain something. And I understand that my will is getting in the way. And I want to stop making decisions based upon my will, and I want to start making decisions based upon His will. And I know everybody probably is going to say amen to that. But if God's stirring your heart right now, <clears throat> I felt this this week. I'm going to give you an opportunity. I just want you to lift your hand to Him, and I want you to say, Lord, let your will be done in my life. Just do that right now. Lord, let your will be done in my life. God, I'm going to surrender my will. God, I'm putting down my will. I don't know what God has in store for Echoes of Calvary, but if we don't get our wills out of the way, we don't get our emotions out of the way, then God can't have the freedom to move. We want God to have the freedom to move, so we say, Lord, let your kingdom come, God. If you're specifically struggling with something, 